Last week, we began a new sermon series following the life of Abram, or Abraham as he will be known later. We were introduced to this patriarch at the beginning of chapter 12 of Genesis, and we saw that God made big promises to Abraham, and Abraham trusted those promises. And so we saw that Abraham is an example for us in how to trust God. Well, about that. Um, The rest of chapter 12 shows us that while Abraham can be an example for us, he is not a perfect example for us. His faith falters on occasion. That the man who was so faithful is now quite fearful and forgetful. And so we're going to turn to the rest of Genesis chapter 12 to see the failings of of Abraham. And so if you want, you can look in your bulletin at the sermon text. There's also an outline of the sermon in there for you. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, beginning in verse 10, as we pick up in the life of Abram, as he was known then. Let us hear the word of God. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Let us pray. Oh God, we give thanks for your word. We thank you that your word is not just any ordinary book. It is not just an old book with stories and fables that teach us moral lessons, but your word is the very powerful, inspired word of the living God. And that even today, your word is powerful and living and active, and it works to do great things that you have promised. In fact, in your Bible, it says that just as the rain falls and gives life to the earth, so the word falls on those who hear it and gives life. And so, God, give us ears to hear today. 
Give us ears to hear Your Word today. Open our hearts and minds to receive Your Word. And I pray that You, O God, would use me in spite of my sin to faithfully proclaim Your Word. Spirit, work through me that I might speak the truth and that Christ would be lifted high and that You, O God, would be honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look at our passage, I try to boil it down each week into just something we can digest in one sentence. And so the big question for us is, how does God help us when our faith falters due to our fears? That like Abram, we can have faith, but we can also fail. So how does God help us when our faith falters? And it's usually because of our fears. And so at our passage, we're going to look today at Abram's problem, his predicament that he finds himself in where he went wrong in trying to solve it himself, and then finally how God cleans up that mess that Abram made. And so Abram finds himself in a predicament at the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. God made some big promises to him, but now Abram is in a big problem. Verse 10 simply reports, Now there was a famine in the land. Later, we are told it is a severe famine, and we may find it very hard to appreciate a famine, because a famine to us is when we go to the store and they don't have the kind of food that we are looking for. But a severe famine in the ancient world would mean that all food of all kinds was scarce or non-existent. And so facing this big problem, Abram likely started thinking, what should I do? Perhaps Abram was thinking, how is God going to keep these big promises he made to me if I starve to death? Hmm, I need to stay alive in order that God would bless me and then I can be a blessing to others. And so Abram formulated a plan. He went down to Egypt to sojourn there. And so Abram was a nomadic tent dweller. He'd set up his tent, live there for a while, pick up his tent and move and live there. And so he went down to Egypt, which was a smart choice. In Egypt, you find the Nile River Delta, which is a well-watered land immune to the fluctuating patterns of rainfall. And so you're like, Abram, good job. Nice plan. Go somewhere where you don't have to worry about a famine. I like this. But as soon as Abram puts his plan in motion, he realizes he has now created another problem. A problem that we probably think is really strange. Abram tries to explain it to his wife, Sarai. I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Guys, it's a great way to start any, just any plan that you have. I know that you are beautiful in appearance. So I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Okay, sure. So Abram is worried that his 65-year-old wife is so beautiful that some Egyptian men might be tempted to murder him in order to marry her. Okay, I guess. I suppose that his fear is based on the fact that as a foreigner in Egypt, as a newcomer, that he might attract attention and be vulnerable. 
And he imagined someone seeing him, 75 years old, very old, and yet kind of wealthy as well. They'd see that his wife is very attractive. They'd see he has no children, which means no heir. And perhaps if we just knocked this old guy off, we'd get the beautiful woman and all of his possessions just like that. It's, it still seems far-fetched to me, to be fair. Um, but I guess I can see where Abram's coming from. And so when presented with this second problem, Abram concocts a second plan. He tells Sarai, say that you're my sister. Okay, why is that safer, Abram? Well, presumably now any Egyptian man who wanted to marry Sarai would have to negotiate that with her brother, Abram. And Abram could presumably put off all those proposals until the famine ended and they could safely get back to Canaan and be husband and wife together. The fact they had no children made the story a little bit more believable. And I suppose we can give Abram credit for having another shrewd plan. That is until problem three pops up. The person who ended up being interested in Sarai was a man you are not allowed to refuse. Pharaoh is the one who hears about this beautiful woman, and he takes her to be his wife. And it appears that Sarai was actually taken as Pharaoh's wife and taken into his household for a time. It does not appear that the Lord's plagues took effect prior to the consummation of their marriage. And so this is a big problem for Abram. It's a bigger problem for Sarai, who is a victim in this story. And what we notice at this point is that Abram does not have a plan to escape from the danger of problem number three. He seemed able to evade the first two dangers but he could not avert the disaster of his wife being taken by Pharaoh. And so it's fun to imagine Abram here in a leaky boat, trying to use all his fingers and toes to plug every hole that pops in this boat to keep himself from sinking. But at this point, the boat's going down and he's in trouble. Thankfully for Abram, the Lord intervenes on his behalf. It's like being woken from a bad dream that the Lord just busts onto the scene in verse 17. It says, But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So God gets Abram out of his mess by miraculously sending judgment on Pharaoh and his house. And somehow Pharaoh is able to determine why this judgment was sent on him and so he gives Sarai back to Abram and sends them on their way out of Egypt. But before telling Abram to hit the road, Pharaoh asks him some questions. What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now, as Abby talked about in the children's message, that sounds an awful lot like parents talking to their child, their young child or teenager, about why did you do the wrong thing? Why did you do that? What were you thinking? And like so, so many of our kids, 
so many of us, we don't really have an answer. We don't want to have an answer because we weren't really thinking all that much. But even though Abram remained silent, the text of Scripture speaks clearly. Abram was driven by fear. He feared dying of starvation in Canaan. He feared someone was going to murder him to take his wife. And he feared losing his wife to Pharaoh forever. The world is a scary place that gives us plenty of reasons to be afraid. And we often scramble to make plans to solve our problems. We try to exercise control in a world where we have very little control. But most of our solutions end up creating new problems, especially when we're driven by fear. And fear is a powerful motivator, but it is one that tends not to lead us in the right direction. And so Abram's fear led him astray. We see that again and again in his problems. We see that fear fueled his forgetfulness of God's promises. Abram's view of his problems overwhelmed his view of God's promises. That was the problem. That when you read chapter 12 together, all of it, you read the first half and you see like, whoa, this guy trusts in God, believes God's word, obeys God, worships God. And then you get to the second half and you're like, who is this guy? Scrambling to solve problems without a thought for God's promises. So consider what happened to Abram. Consider problem one of the famine. You see, that decision to go to Egypt isn't necessarily a wrong one, but it sure looks that way. You see, in the first half of Genesis 12, we read that God speaks to Abram and then it says, so Abram, and then he does something obedient. But what we read in the second half in verse 10 is, now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went to Egypt. His difficult circumstances and problems directed his decisions. Instead of God's word directing him, his problems directed him. And we're left wondering, why isn't there a verse in chapter 10, like verse 10 and a half, that says, and Abram cried to the Lord for help. Or Abram sought the Lord's guidance about where to sojourn next. He had gone to Canaan on God's instructions. Why didn't he seek God's instructions before leaving Canaan? He let fear direct his decisions instead of God's word. He did not look to the Lord in prayer for help. He solved the problem himself. And it seemed like he did okay until he didn't. Consider the second problem of Sarai's appealing beauty. Abram feared that someone might kill him for his wife. And that seems really strange, but let's grant that he has some justification. But his fear made him forget the very real promise that God made in Genesis 12, 3. That I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. Perhaps Abram thought God's curse wouldn't act fast enough that this guy would kill him and then later as a murderer get cursed. And Abram's like, I gotta, this curse has got to be fast. 
But maybe, Abram, just maybe, the God of all the universe, the Creator of heaven and earth, is able to curse fast enough to keep you alive and keep His promises? Just maybe. Fear got the best of Abram. Fear caused him to forget God's promises. That's very different from losing God's promises. Hear this. Abram still possessed God's promises. He just forgot to use God's promises. It reminds me of how on one occasion, or she's not here to correct me, maybe more than one occasion, um, Abby and I would go out to dinner at a restaurant, and we went there because we had a gift card to that particular restaurant, and we sat down, we enjoyed a delicious meal, the check came, credit card on the check, pay for it, get up and leave, and that gift card right here in my pocket, totally unused. I possessed the gift card. I did not use the gift card. That's what Abraham does with his promises. He has them, and he doesn't put them to use. That's what we saw in both our Old and New Testament readings. In the Old Testament reading, Caleb and Joshua plead with the Israelites to trust in God's promise to give them the land. Don't fix your eyes on those big, scary, tall people in their big cities. Fix your eyes on the Word of God that is telling you, I'm giving you this land. The Israelites had the promises. They were reminded of the promises, but fear fueled forgetfulness. In the New Testament reading, it's not all that different. Paul describes how Peter reverted back to these Jewish ceremonial laws because he was afraid of certain Jewish people. He feared what they would think of him for eating with Gentiles. And Paul had to remind him of the gospel promises and how Peter was not living in line with what Jesus said. Peter not only possessed the promises, he preached the promises. And yet fear fueled his forgetfulness. And these forgetful moments fueled by fear, we see that there were significant consequences. The Israelites were left to wander in the wilderness for another generation before they got to go in the promised land. And Peter led astray Barnabas and others by his cowardly, hypocritical behavior. If we forget God's promises and let fear guide us, we will find ourselves in messes of our own making. That's where Abram found himself. The man who was supposed to be a blessing to the nations instead brought God's curse and plagues upon Pharaoh and his house. Abram's lack of faith seemed to reverse the promises of God. But God is strong enough to keep His promises even when we make big messes. God would keep His promise to Abram no matter what. See, Pharaoh, even though he didn't realize it, dishonored Abram and his wife, and so God cursed him, keeping his promise. Even though Abram forgot God's word, God did not forget his word. God kept his word, and his promises overcome our sinful stupidity. And he keeps his promises again and again to encourage us, hey, just trust me next time. You know, I've kept my word every single time. Great is thy faithfulness morning after morning, like... I'm doing really good at this. Trust in me. 
But I imagine that the shame of Abram's failure stuck with him. I imagine that as Abram and Sarai are journeying back to Canaan, Abram feels pretty terrible. We are told nothing about whether or not Sarai was involved on this plan or agreed with this plan or if she went along with it reluctantly. But I have to imagine that on that long road back to Canaan, she reminded him about it a few times and let him have it about this. Can you believe what happened here? Isn't that how we feel when we mess up? Don't we feel ashamed when we look back and see our mistakes? Don't we feel humiliated by the consequences that we have caused to ourselves and others? When our faith falters, we feel miserable. We feel unworthy. And the Bible reveals that one of the primary culprits for our faltering faith is fear. That fear often fuels forgetfulness of God's promises. So we need to ask ourselves, what is it that makes us afraid? Do we fear being out of control? Do we fear not having enough? Do we fear being alone? Do we fear disaster or disease? Do we fear being a disappointment? Perhaps those fears have led you to make some poor decisions, just like Abram has made some foolish decisions out of fear. And perhaps your foolish decisions have brought some negative consequences on you and your family. Perhaps the shame of your mistakes is burning inside you right now, and all you want to do is hide. Please don't hide. Go to Jesus. I know that everything in us doesn't want other people to have to clean up our messes. And we proudly insist that we must be the ones to clean ourselves up. But the mess of sin from our fearful unbelief can only be cleaned up by Jesus. And you don't need to fear that Jesus is going to come and rub your face in your sin. Because God sent His Son for the very purpose of cleaning you up. One author writes that when we sin, we are encouraged to bring our mess to Jesus. Because He will know just how to receive us. He doesn't handle us roughly. He doesn't scowl and scold. He deals gently with us. Jesus gently cleanses us of our sin and our shame. And He covers us with His own perfect righteousness. And so now, when God looks at us, He does not see our fear-fueled failures, but He sees Jesus' perfect record of faith. And we receive cleansing as a gift, just as Abram received all of God's blessings as a gift of grace. And receiving that gift is not contingent on how well we bless others, as we can clearly see from Abram. God still blessed him even though his sin brought curses on Pharaoh. See, when we sin, God doesn't retract or withhold his blessing from us. He pours out his grace more abundantly so that we trust him more. 
And as He strengthens our faith by His grace, we will obediently trust in Him more and more and so be a blessing to others just as God intended. For God will keep His promises, even though we tend to gum up the process. But thanks be to our powerful and gracious God that He is the one who cleans us up. He is the one who strengthens us that He might fulfill His good purposes to bless us and make us a blessing to others as we point others to Jesus, the only one who can cleanse us and cleanse them of our sin. Let us pray. O gracious Father, we thank You that You are merciful. Everyone in this room has sinned. Everyone in this room has likely felt shame about the sins that we have committed, about the wrongs that we have done to others. And we have probably tried to ignore them or hide them or bury them down deep. We have probably tried to work to undo them or to try to outweigh them with good deeds. But there is no way to remove that except for Jesus. Jesus is the one who takes away our sin and our shame. And He does so through His life, His death, and His resurrection for us. He says, all those who come to Me will be saved. All those who come to Me will be forgiven. All those who come to Me will have eternal life. And so may we, as the song said earlier today, come, poor and weary sinners, to Jesus. He will make us whole. It's in His name we pray. Amen.